Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another awesome show. Uh, Yuri's having trouble getting in right now, but uh, we'll we'll sort this out in a minute. Um, biggest question, first off, Randy, thanks for joining us. This is gonna My be pleasure, thanks for having me, fellas. Awesome yeah, chat, man, awesome. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, I've, I've had this in my head for a little while and I was like, ooh, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> He's uh, the worst. So <laughs> the question I have is, first off, is anybody got any thoughts, anything, questions, anything burning in your mind that you wanna get out to the world before we just like dive into the conversation? No, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, me too. I mean, we, we, I honestly have no idea what you guys have in store for questions. So this is going to be authentic. And uh, uh, yeah, let, let us rip. Uh, can you hear Can you guys hear me okay? Does anything audio need to be adjusted? No, it sounds, sounds good. good. You're all good, man. And, yeah. Okay, Yuri's here too. So we're, we'll carry on with the, uh, we'll jump him in and we'll get into the conversation anyway. Uh, Yuri, what's up? Able to make it? Hello hey, to everyone. Good to go. Who do we got? And Winterstorm's joining us. Morning, Winterstorm. Morning, we got people already lining up to watch. So we're going to go into a little bit different than what we had planned originally, Yuri. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about the evolution of combatives. And I think this is a great topic because actually Randy and I were just talking about this in the green room before y'all showed up because I was giggling a little bit that Randy showed up exactly 10 minutes early <laughs> like, like i watched my my uh my watch gives me a little notice at 10 minutes too uh <laughs> that that i have like so many more steps i need to get in right and uh it buzzed on my wrist and i looked up and his little window popped up underneath me and i was like dang <laughs> like nailed the timing Winner. Uh, so this is the first thing we were talking about was that how jujitsu a has developed over the last 20 30 years but sean you were bringing up the fact that uh the combative systems that we've been using within the the military has changed since like over time as well do you want to dive into that right away and we can see where that takes us yeah sure i'll, I'll start it off real quick with kind of a overarching theme if you will and it would be just kind of from a live chat i don't know two three four days ago whatever it is and um, I forget his call sign on Instagram, xcep 6 or something like that. Uh, he's a young guy, and he asked me, there was a conversation about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, BJJ. And uh, he said, yeah, but what about Japanese jiu-jitsu? What do I think about that? And I said, Phew. I went straight over to my bookcase, grabbed a book, and it's Bruce Tegner's book that I, uh, on uh, jiu-jitsu, Japanese jiu-jitsu, that I bought around 85 and from that point forward, that book was the only freaking book for like a thousand kilometer radius that had anything to do with martial arts and the military. I mean, there was nothing. The There was no books. No one was reading books. No one was doing it. So I carried that book around with me like a martial arts Bible. And it was that that I started incorporating into the, uh, the Canadian Airborne Regiment's unarmed combat a demonstration team i was just i was just reading pages and say let's try this let's try that and so from there the evolution of uh, japanese jujitsu in my early military career and then right through into jtf2 there was still no brazilian jujitsu when i left the teams and so um all of the all of the stuff that i did from scrap in, in the military it was judo based or japanese jiu-jitsu based or muay thai based or standard issue uh, karate kickboxing based and all of that good stuff but there i never got to do any mma when i was in the military but subsequently or after i left randy and his generation brought in that modern mixed martial arts game a much more comprehensive, effective, and, and adaptive uh, style of combatives in the military that I missed, that I had to go find out on Civilian Street. But I missed a huge chunk of um, wisdom and, and uh, technical prowess. I never got to see any of that within the military, but I do understand it exists now because, of course, I've been lurking in Randy's uh, Instagram account for some time, seeing that, you know, he's 10 times the martial artist that I am. So it's great to see that uh, the military can create uh, an extremely technical and, and, and competent, capable uh, martial artist through that military system. 
Oh, that's my opening comment. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> See, I and I say this every time uh, that Sean needs to not have a boom so that he can drop mics because he does that a lot. Yeah, but does anyone disagree? But, I mean, no, anyone disagree? Randy, what, are, what are your thoughts on the... Uh, I mean, you were in for quite some time at the Hill, so like, yeah. did you see a progression Oh yeah, big of time. like how that worked? Yeah, big time. So when I started my military career with the PPCLI, uh, jiu-jitsu really wasn't a thing. There would be some forms of grappling, but I agree with Sean. It was more um, judo-based. There was, there was a flavor of judo towards it, uh, which was great. I mean, there's absolutely any type of grappling and clinch work is good. But what I noticed was, you know, after five or six years, or well, five years in the, with the PPCLI, and then when I did selection and, and I went to JTF2, the, the gentleman that was running the program at the unit at the time, his name was Casper, and he came from a lineage of Muay Thai. And I would say that the combative program that was implemented at that time had a, had a strong base of Muay Thai kickboxing. There was definitely some, um, some grappling in there as well. I know at that time, Casper had a really good relationship with Eric Paulson um, in California. So he adopted some of the combat submission wrestling stuff and implemented that into the program. And it was strong. It was a it was a pretty strong program for someone that maybe has never done any formal training, and then to get embedded with you know I think it was it ended up being close to thirty hours of concentrated training where um, you know they they took us from this is a basic one two combination this is how you throw a punch without falling off balance and then you know this is what a clinch looks like this is what happens when you end up in a 50-50 position and then it would go to the ground. And we talk about all the pros and cons of escaping, you know, precarious positions to submitting and finishing guys. So I did see an evolution in my time while I was there. And then I was pretty fortunate after spending probably 10, 10 years operational as an assaulter at the unit. I then transitioned into the training cell where I was, you know, afforded the opportunity to progress the program even more. And what we started to implement was, um, not just grappling in the sense of holistic grappling, whether it's Japanese jiu-jitsu forms um, or judo forms, but it was more so traditional jiu-jitsu. So you start to see a little bit more of what you would see in a traditional jiu-jitsu setting. We saw ways to make that tactically feasible and understandable for those who are trying to apply it in a tactical world. So, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely watched the progression and evolution of uh combatives grow to where I think is in a, um, you know, it's in a healthy position. There's always room to evolve. There's always uh, areas to improve, but generally speaking for somebody that maybe has never done any formal training and then they get to where they are now, I'm just going to use JTF2 as an example because that's where I spent the majority of my career. Um, those guys are in, in a good position to really defend themselves and, and help out their teammates. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing that I really missed getting was when I was in was there there was really no hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat unless you were taking the CQC course, right? And even then, that was really only relegated to the infantry. You you had to you had to you know finagle your way in to get that if you weren't in the infantry when I was there. And so I I I I always believe that it should be a you know, a military wide people should you should have some level of combatives or some sort of uh, some sort of development in there outside my own. Yuri, did you see any um, any combatives, direct combatives training when you uh, when you were going through? Well, I have some thoughts, uh, and uh, my military career feels about one year, so I definitely don't see some okay. changes. Yeah. But uh, about what you would say, um, first of all, about judo and jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I think they're more talking about uh, some stylistic business deals. Because mm -hmm. if you gather to get, uh, if you to see in judo, we see the some changes. For, for more attractive as a sport, as looking sport for uh, Olympiad games. Uh, but for example, we can see the Koshin Judo, if you know uh, this uh, part of uh, Judo community in Japanese who provide uh, more more uh, uh, grappling in parser, uh, more uh, 
not not even I would say realistic, but uh, they uh, they make more free to to grapple, uh, taking more time for grappling as a partner. Mm. And uh, what about the changes for military? First of all, I think it's uh, because uh, we have some type of, of war uh, which provides into the cities with a lot of civilian and uh, even uh, just uh, infantry soldiers have situation where he is dealt it with a civilian, with aggressive civilian and uh, he might to have some tools to protect their lives they weapon uh, against unarmed attacking so uh, they they must to to learn some uh, grappling techniques and again again if you will see the combatives uh, till the 16 uh, centuries we will see the same the same thing the same throws, the same uh, takedowns, the same locks, the same defenses against uh, the uh, knife or, or stick. Or... Because we don't change uh, like uh, human beings. We have one hand to uh, one head, two hands and two legs. So there are no, no much uh, ways to, uh, to deal with uh, aggressive opponents. Yeah. There's only so many ways you can hold a stick or a knife or a sword or so it makes sense. There's only so many. Do you, ways know, you, can... do you know what uh, changes that ebb and flow? So, like, you know, there's let's pretend all the martial arts that anyone ever needed to know had been invented by the year 1000. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's ridiculous as a as an idea. But as a thought experiment, let's say it's all been invented by the year 1000. Why does, you know, why, why in the 1980s, the early 1980s, was there an ineffective combatives program? And here's what I think, because the institution had become incestuous. Mm. And so uh, it was, it was predominantly infantry guys that were interested in kicking ass. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want to use too broad of a brush, but it genuinely it's us that are mostly kicking the ass. And so, um, you know, when I was in the PPCLI there, the, the combatives never really happened. The first time I kind of got introduced to combatives for serious was on my, uh, unarmed combat instructors course that, that was run at the airborne regiment with one, two and three commando. It was hard, man. I was scrapping every day with the biggest guy in the course. And I was, I was a short ass and, uh, it was hard, but it was all old school. Mm. And it was just a bunch of army guys, good army guys, teaching other good army guys, army guy stuff. And so the first time that that changed was when I was teaching uh, an unarmed combat instructor's course out on 3PPCLI in Victoria uh, with myself and a fellow, Sergeant Brad Gates, and um, the two of us running the program. And we, uh, I got introduced to a civilian. His name is Al Cardi. And uh, this guy was bringing a whole different game that I'd never seen before with Kali uh, or knife fighting and with just a, a bunch of different things. He was a door bouncer for many, many years. And so he was showing me ways to control the human body in a, in a grappling position that I knew base posture and structure from judo uh, when, before I joined the army. But I'd never felt what he was teaching me before. And so asked him to come and be a civilian instructor on our course. And I don't want to say he ran it, but he kind of did. Uh, you know, he was, he was kind of like a quiet civilian professional. And uh, I'd look at him and he'd look at me and then he'd say something quietly and then we'd get on with it. It was my job to make it happen. It was his job to pass the wisdom. And so it was an extremely successful course. And that was the first time I'd ever seen us ever seen a civilian in anything to do with the infantry never mind combatives and so the next time i saw a civilian involved was when i went out to jtf2 and uh, i don't know if you would know him randy i'll use his first name it's bob and yeah. he was running the muay thai program at the time right. so uh, that was my first uh, intro to muay thai and uh, from that moment on i i only stopped doing muay thai like about five years ago 
he introduced me to Muay Thai and I did it for about 20 years. And so I dig on stand-up, I dig on throwing, I dig on grappling. But what I've, I've seen is combatives in the military only become more effective when civilians get involved to help shape the actual, not cutting edge, edge but the relevant edge required for the relevant times. If not for that, it becomes incestuous and then it's old thinking teaching new minds old thoughts yeah. am i off base no i i agree i think the um the lineage at the unit for example bob was there casper took over from bob i took over from casper and now it's back to a civilian who's running the program and i, I think there's pros and cons to having um an outside outsider maybe it's not the right word but somebody that's not that's in a pretty uniform. good word <laughs> <laughs> somebody that's not in uniform there's, there's some pros and cons to that because they will look at the problem set a little bit differently what i do think is important is that there is somebody there with a tactical mindset that can ensure that what is being taught has a relevance that is tactically driven so like for an example the the gentleman that's running the program now you know he's a black belt in judo he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu um, he's, he's fought some MMA. He's done some, um, what else has he done? He's got, he's got a list, a repertoire of skills, which is great because now the guys that are on receiving end, they're getting a little taste of multiple different martial arts. And then it's up to them to figure out what way, or sorry, not maybe not what way, but what particular technique that their body will allow them to execute under pressure, under stress in a tactical situation. And that is the difference. I do believe there's a lot to take away from sports side of martial arts, but I also believe that there is a fine line that needs to be um, at least polished up every now and again in terms of what is the tactical relevance. And if there's a connection there, man, you, you've got, I would say, the 95% solution. Yeah, I love that. Good old 95% solution. It's it's almost perfect, but not quite. <laughs> and I do that on purpose because I do believe that there's no such thing as perfect. Absolutely. You know, sometimes you hear the, the term, uh, subject matter expert. I don't like it. I don't agree with it because what it suggests is you've made it to the top and there's nowhere else for you to go. I disagree with that. The learning always evolves and it always uh, it always carries on. So like perfect doesn't exist. So we will strive for excellence and we'll we'll aim for what we believe to be perfect. But in all reality, I truly believe to the core of my being, like perfect doesn't exist. So let's uh, let's try to limit that the amount of use that we we throw that word out there. You know I, I that you're right. Correct, yeah. You're ahead, right. Sir. And and it's only just recently that I started using subject matter expert. And it's because a bunch of my army buddies were using it so much that I just kind of picked it back up again from back in the day. It was never part of my lingo until just recently. So yeah, I'm gonna have to try and drop it again. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. <laughs> no using SMEs anymore. Nobody yeah. gets to be a SME. Uh it's actually interesting. I, I had a uh an instructor of mine tell me at one point in time that uh, you can never be, you can't clear a road a hundred percent. There's, there's absolutely no, unless I dig up the road and even then, you know, how deep are you going to dig? How far are you going to go? Right. And then it, so you can, you can always say, you know, I, you know, I did, I did my best. Yeah. This is clear as far as I can tell, like the, all my things are working, but you're yeah. right. You can never be a hundred percent. I was going to ask you guys about, uh, defensive tactics and then randy went into it right away yeah. <laughs> Just jumped right into it um yeah. what was the sean did you get any sort of like defensive tactics style stuff where you were armed against disarmed um versus um versus the stuff that randy you were teaching before you got out sean did you see any of that stuff yeah i mean before i got to the hill uh that's it's what i was teaching on my unarmed combat instructors course again straight up out of that Bruce Tegner Japanese jiu-jitsu book. There, there's a lot of great, uh, there's a, historically, there's a lot of amazing martial art out there that is specifically about weapons, disarms, or weapons controlling or involved with weapons. And, uh, you know, it's not overly complex stuff. And uh, I've I've been able to teach pretty effective things to young infantrymen in the space of an hour that they can use for the rest of their lives and will save their life. And so, yeah, before the teams, definitely. And when on the teams, definitely. Yeah. But I would also like to add that not 
as nuanced, not as effective, not as broad, uh, bandwidth sort of minded as what they, what Randy would have been doing in his time and what they're doing now. What do you think? The, what do you think the biggest difference, Randy, from when you first showed up to when you left? That's a, it's a good think? question. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is mindset. So when you know, like some of the stuff that I share with folks now, predominantly with military and law enforcement, is I'll, I'll break down the nomenclature to me. And these, this is just my perspective and my philosophy. Defensive tactics is what's commonly referred in, in the law enforcement. And the way I look at it is. Oftentimes when um, a situation will present itself, the officer is really in a defensive posture. He's trying to de-escalate the situation with words or body language. And really the adversary, the aggressor is at an advantage because they have a say in, in the situation where the defensive side of things, defensive tactics, puts us at a defensive posture. And we're already thinking about ways that we can potentially de-escalate or utilize a series of tools that might be on the tool belt. Martial arts, when I try to share with folks in my, and again, this is just my philosophy, is it's a choreographed set of skills that are agreed upon to individuals that are, you know, they're, they're training in a controlled environment. There is a, you know, a set of controlled uh, rules at which both, uh, both parties agree to and respect. And then the third of, of the three that um, I like to, to share and what I consider um, the, the product and the brand of direct action is combatives. So combatives, in my perspective, is utilizing anything that is readily accessible at the extension of the hand to help neutralize a situation. And that doesn't necessarily mean eliminate somebody and put them six feet under, but make the situation go away. When we decide to make that leap, we're doing it fast, aggressive, and getting to the point. So defensive tactics, more defensive posture start state. Martial arts, more agreed upon, serious set of rules that is in a controlled environment. And then combative, a combative mindset is, listen, I don't want the situation to go physical. What if it does? I've got a series of, of, uh, of solutions to this potential problem. Yeah. It's like being first, right? My, my professor says this all the time. It's like, yes. if you're going to go to a tournament, be first. Yes. Don't don't let up on the initiative. You have to be first. And yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Sean, you got a point? Yeah, just on the nomenclature, thanks for cleaning that up. And uh, I agree on that nomenclature uh, as observed uh, for the year that I taught at the Ontario Police College as a defensive mm -hmm. tactics instructor. And so you're right. It's It's all about context it's all about environment it's all about what your job is at that moment it's all about how to do it easily safely effectively and get on with your life yeah um the the big question well, i wanted to ask you guys you're you're you had something yeah Go of ahead. course uh, as an instructor in uh, police uh, academy i want to say that uh, in uh, for police guys we have two uh, totally different situation. One of them, uh, when uh, he used his hand-to-hand uh, -hand, uh, combative on, uh, when they use force, generally speaking, force to to uh, to making his uh, professional things uh, to arrest someone uh, to to grab someone to go to the jail or something else. And another uh, big situation when uh, this uh, policeman defending against uh, attack. And the, we have uh, two different mindsets in this situation. We have two different, we might have two different uh, technique or even style uh, because when you won't just arrested man, you have some limits about law, about uh, moral. You can't hit this uh, person. You can't do a lot of stuff for them. And when you defending against attacking, you have more wide uh, techniques and more dangerous techniques. So when we Teaching in uh, when I teaching uh, guys, uh, the first thing w was about about the looking at situation, about color code, about uh, boy blue and uh, other things that he might he 
he need to know in what situation they are. Mm-hmm. Did he need? Did he need uh, pull uh, the CS uh, ballon, or they already need uh, to pull the pistol? Uh, do they need some grapple, or they must uh, throw everything and run away to the to the cover and begin to to shoot him? I think there are there is a very very that uh, that choice for for every uh, every man. We see some uh, some mistakes, especially in these things. We all know about uh, uh, the case who started BLM, where for for thinking of uh, judges, there are no possibilities to do so tough. Uh, looking uh, technique, but uh, maybe for officers at the place, you know, uh, what they decided in seconds, uh, judges and uh, in jail uh, was uh, take for for years. For years, uh, people began to to speaking about do they do the right thing or wrong thing. But decision of this policeman uh, consists of a, a few, few, few moments. Yeah, that split second armchair quarterbacks, right? Armchair hey, quarterbacks Randy. versus the split second. Yeah. Uh, on that uh, note, quick question: Do do you, did you have a formal model, uh, use of force continuum model uh, that was either specific to the hill or specific to whatever? Did you have a formal uh, application? No, we didn't have a we didn't have a formal diagram or drawdown on active resistance, passive resistance, um, you know, verbal de-escalation. Not a formal setting, but essentially what we would you know share with the guys as a foundational baseline is, you know, whether we're alone or in a team fighting context, there's always more than one option. Always. Right. The problem is, and I agree with Yuri's point, when we have to make a split the sec a split second decision knowing that there is going to be critics whether we make a great decision there's going to be critics if we make a poor decision where i believe we should put a little bit more heat and light is helping the individual understand how to build confidence in utilizing whatever tool or skill that they have in their repertoire under stress under duress can they execute that particular movement so for an example i'll use a law enforcement uh, officer for an example he or she has multiple less than lethal force options on their tool belt, which means they have multiple decisions to make on multiple uses in the exact same situation. That can be overwhelming for somebody that doesn't have a lot of confidence in their ability to execute based on the information that they have readily accessible. So how do we bridge that gap? I'm a firm believer that we bridge the gap through realistic, realistic, not not uh, situations that are given to the officer, but realistic scenarios that put pressure on the officer to make a decision. And then regardless, during training, what decision is made, there is a teachable moment that needs to be rectified on that spot, like on the, on the spot, in the moment. And if it's a decision that is made that's you know less desirable, okay, no problem. Let's reset it, give this officer a couple of options, a couple of, um, you know, takeaway points to adjust their thought process and then run the scenario again. And then through those types of repetition where, you know, the officer or the soldier, actually, I mean, it's good for a military context too, where the soldier doesn't always come out as the winner. Like sometimes you're going to make a a poor decision, but that's okay. During training, we want to make those poor decisions. That way, when, when it's on the day, there's less of a chance we're going to make a poor decision because we've got to, we've got that out of the way during training. So it all comes back to, and I truly believe this, I believe um, training for the sake of training is problematic, but if it's very purposeful and it's specific with a specific desire and a specific intent to be met in that training aim, you're, you're giving the officer or the soldier um, a, a lot more, a lot more tools, but more importantly, you're arming them with the ability to make a wise decision under pressure. I agree with all of that. I mean, 103%. But uh, as, as I see it, where that kind of falls apart, that model is if the model is created in not a cookie cutter way, but let's say it's a model of excellence, as you just described it. 
And in that model, it then gets printed off on a one-page sheet and then gets handed out to some organization. Now you've got various individuals across the country. They're trying to implement this kind of model that could be extremely successful. But as I've learned over the years, that success is not determined by the model. It's determined by the guy who's running the model on that local site. And so that individual needs to be, of course, talented and et cetera. But one of the highest priority skills he or she has to have is this. They've got to be able to communicate well with an individual through the after action report because there will have been mistakes made and there will be lessons that need to be learned and there will have to be corrections. But whoever's doing that one, two, three minute debrief, that really sets the tone for the success of the model. Is Would you disagree or agree with that? I agree and I would just add to it a little bit. I would say that model is subjective because what somebody you know who sees a, a, a subject um, demonstrating active resistance, for example, one person may view that like that's the, the, the most stressful thing that they've ever experienced in their life where somebody else maybe grew up, they were in tussles all the time. So to them, you know, getting punched in the face or throwing a punch is not really a big deal. So their, their level of acceptance in terms of what is subjected to active resistance or passive resistance may be very, very different. So I would agree, yes, that the instructor delivering the material, you know, there's a high level of social and emotional intelligence that's important to become a really good instructor, in my opinion. But also, we, we also, as an instructor, we have to take the time to get to know the audience to which we're dealing with. Because well, what one person may feel very, very stressful, somebody else may feel like it's a walk on the beach and vice versa. So getting to know what per, what a person's background was and you know what kind of experiences they lived uh, through up to this point, that's really important as well. Well, can I hit you with an academic question? Just not a challenging question, but it, it's just purely academic. Sure. Um, so looking at that, and I agree again, um, if you consider that, now we're talking about how best to deliver information to a broader bandwidth of demographic that's standing in front of you and as an instructor or, or, or delivering the information. You have to be sensitive to uh, doing that well. So do you think for efficiency and effectiveness, you would, if you could only choose one, would you prefer a siloized organization where it's a tighter bandwidth so that you're not having to deal with the broad bandwidth in front of you? Uh, but now you're jumping from silo to silo to silo, maybe 100 times a month versus a broad bandwidth where you're only jumping maybe three or four times a month. But the delivery is a little more complex and nuanced. What do you think? Um, maybe if you don't mind, maybe if you could elaborate just a little bit on when you refer to silos, um, if we have a, a training body of, say, 20 people. And on Monday, we're going to focus on stand-up. And on all oh, right, no, sorry. Uh, what I, what I meant was, let's say you've got the opportunity to train 100 independent little groups, and it's right. not it's not a particular martial art. It's just you get those five guys for yeah. a day. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would say you're. We would probably get as a somebody that's been on the receiving end of really good instruction, and somebody that's been on the receiving end of poor instruction. I believe that when the numbers are smaller, the quality in the delivery, more importantly, the retaining, the retainability is exponentially higher. So smaller group, higher the quality. That way, the instructor or instructors have a smaller number of people that they can help correct and troubleshoot when there's issues, as opposed to having a large body where we'll say arguably maybe 50%, if we're lucky, is actually retained. And of that 50%, you know, did the instructor even get a chance to to help with you know one or two of those people based on the number size? So yeah, I would say keep it smaller if possible. Well, that's been my observation as well. So now the final follow-on would be this. Um, if if you had your way, how would you deliver to let's just say um, the entire infantry? Sure. So so no other trade, just the infantry. How would you approach that challenge? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think I would approach it by first formulating a stable of instructors that are all speaking the same, the same language. And then we would break it down into 
because we, you know in the infantry they operate in platoon size and they operate in section size so i would break it down into section section size so if it's a day per section of, of dedicated concentrated training that that's what that's the way i would break mm, it down. i like it yeah thanks for that yeah, that so, makes a lot of sense yuri yep thanks uh well in from what point uh, we started combatives when I read about William Everett Fairburn, who really maybe not found in, but uh, involve uh, such even work as combatives, as point shooting, as shooting houses, and, and many, many, many things. The really great man for tactical science. We will see that uh, he tended to train even not a little group, but one man. And mm -hmm. some guys from Soy, from uh, uh, British Commando, uh, from Green Berets, they uh, remembering that in a uh, hard situation, they remembering uh, when uh, when uh, these guys go to the shooting house, uh, Fairbairn go uh, to his back and saying this quiet and... Uh, Boys, do that or do that. Look at that. Look at this. And this guy says his uh, students that in real situation they remember it, this voice. They remember it what uh, he say, and uh, they helping him to stay focused on on uh, these things. And another thing, I really don't see the real high uh, high level uh, students. In traditional martial arts, in karate, in aikido, in no, I I don't uh, take a lot of uh, training like that. But uh, who train uh, big uh, big parts of students, big numerous of students? It's from heart to heart. If you want to uh, to teach another uh, master, you must have some time for personal training. Because it's uh, it's uh, uh, a brilliant of uh, your collection of your students, mm. but uh, for most of these guys, maybe groups about 10, uh, 15 guys, it's, it's, it's the most. Yeah. Fortunately, for, fortunately for for now, we have uh, uh, I have groups about 45, 50 guys, so the quality is not uh, not even. Even, even well. Yeah. There's so not much you can do with 40 or 50 people in one room. I heard, yeah. I don't remember where I heard this, but uh, it was something about you can only really communicate with three to four people in your immediate vicinity. Outside of that, you start to lose control. You can't really control those three or four people. Outside of I've only got a couple of friends, so I don't have any concerns at this there point. There you go. <laughs> but I, I remember hearing that, and it was that's why you know we have our sections divided the way we do, and that's why we have is because your your two IC only controls three people, right? And the the sergeant only controls three people, right? You got the master corporal and two corporals, and then the warrant only hey. controls blah 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 blah, and every just kind of spreads downwards from there. Yeah. So now we have uh, we have their uh, tactical joke. Uh, why uh, standard patrol in uh, SAS and uh, another special forces contain four uh, four people and in French Legion only three people? Mm. Uh, because uh, in uh, Western we have two pairs. For dealing and in French Legion, you have one legionnaire and two local, would say, monkeys uh, and, and a legionnaire in charge. And uh, one guy from uh, Legion say, You know, you're right, because we now have seven uh, in uh, squad, seven guys, one corporal and two uh, third, third man team. Yeah. So, yeah. From three to four guys, it's okay. That's that's why we need corporals, we need surgeons, staff surgeons, and all this. Uh, all cool guys. Yeah. Uh, here's I got a, a comment here from Winterstorm. It's a, it's a little bit long, so bear with me here. All right. We got some good. It's a really good thought. Uh, the failings in our law enforcement community is individuals who only train defensive tactics, which rely heavily on tools, 
which we are often not proficient in, with no transition to combat tactics. The transition never happens and people get hurt when they shouldn't. From effective defensive tactics to combative tactics, but more, but importantly, back to defensive with minimal harm to everyone. The, the way I'm reading that, it's more along the lines of like being able to switch back and forth. Right. And I think that's what he's saying is we're lacking or the law enforcement community might be lacking is being able to go from defensive to offensive, back to defensive, to mid range and so on and so forth. Any thoughts on that, Randy? Yeah, that, that, that's the way I, I understand that, too, as I was reading it with you, Chance. And yeah. I, I think I think he's on to something. And I do believe one thing I, that I like to pride myself on and when I'm teaching and sharing this stuff is I, I like to call it a dial rather than a switch. So. Mm when when we crank the dial up it's because we need to get the initiative or regain the initiative or take the initiative so we dial it up but we also have to have the emotional control to be able to dial it back when we do start to feel like we're getting in control or mm-hmm. regaining that control and i think that's a challenging thing to do and i also believe not everybody has it some people have a switch and that's just the way they work once the flip is the switch is flipped they're on full send but i do believe with with training and, you know, highlighting some things about, you know, social and emotional intelligence, being able to dial that when it's responsible, when it's responsible, the responsibility is on us, sorry. That's the difference between a professional and somebody that's just not quite there yet. They can get there, but they're just not there yet. Sean, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, in, I agree. And that's how I read the question as well. And um, I think it comes down to, as I read it, possibly the challenge of just simply not enough scenario-based training. Mm. And, uh, you know, in order, as Randy has already said, and I, I completely agree, it can't just be scenario training that is got simple solutions with simple outcomes. It needs to be pressure tested. And uh, I experienced this down at the Ontario Police College uh, when uh, a visiting unit came in and they were the uh, crowd control or the riot control squad. A lot of big boys in that and some average size boys, but I'm all of five foot nine and 160 pounds kind of thing. And I didn't look like much. I I looked a little bigger when I was in a full fist suit Mm because they're going to come at me. And, you know, the first few waves, they thought it was going to be like knock the small guy down, negative. And so uh, they just kept stacking more and more people against me and bigger and bigger guys until I was facing the big boys and a, a number of them. They put a beating on me. But what they weren't prepared for was the level of, call it aggression, call it that ain't going to play out the way you think. But they just never, I don't they'd probably seen it before, but they'd never seen it in scenarios before. I can guarantee you that because they're all bug eyed every time uh, I returned their favor. And so um, I think it comes down to scenario based training that makes people open their eyes and think, Oh, there's levels to the game or, Oh, this isn't just a, a yawn or for the day. They, they've got to like wake up, feel the pressure and then learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, we were about this a, a, a second ago, or not a second ago, um, a couple of days ago. I was I was telling you about I was watching a video of the the bags coming off the head, and you're just like presented with the situation. Is that yeah. the kind of stuff you're talking about? Yeah. So like that's one way. Th- those are referred to as hooded box drills. So mm-hmm. those are those are what I call micro ballistic fights because they're short in duration. They're really um, quick and efficient to reset, so you can get a lot of guys through a lot of repetition. So those are definitely beneficial for sure. It allows the officer or the soldier to take in as soon as that hood comes off, take in as much information as they can. And they're literally going through the file folder of options that they have. And then they're, they're hoping that they pull out the right file folder to create a solution to that problem. Those training sessions are money. The, those are really, really powerful. In addition to Sean's point with <clears throat> training, I think that the, where you, where you get the juice for the squeeze, so to speak is, not, not just putting scenarios together that are chaotic and, you know, it's, it's designed to fail. That's not the point. Incrementally, when we add pressure, incrementally, when we add scenarios of complexity, incrementally, what happens to the student is they are learning and adapting to um, chaotic situations that are happening. Every repetition is a little bit different. So now they have information in their file folder as a reference point should it ever happen for real later on down the road. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the, there's a way to do that where people are not going to get hurt and messed up, 
um, but they are going to be put in positions of discomfort. And, and I believe that's where the true growth happens is when you're on that edge of discomfort. Yeah, that's well, pretty awesome. You're I, yeah, yeah, I see this drill in uh, TV show Navy Steel or Team Six. I I don't remember. There's uh, some yeah thing uh -huh. on on the head. And so what I what I wanna ask you guys uh, how it's uh, in in your places? How much time? First of all, how much time the students? Uh, take part in 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 some combat situation first of all second one do you have any choice when uh, some students came to police academy do you have power say no with mental most of all in mental uh, um, some perspective you can't you can't do the job with uh, uh, with some force because you, you you can't you can't do that. And uh, what about exams at the all at the end of the your your course? I can start yeah. off because uh, I preceded uh, Randy in sort of this evolutionary process, and uh, I'd say this that. When when I went to the hill or when I went to JTF two, uh, we trained a lot, and uh, and you know in in the selection process, uh, sorry, into the later phases of the entire selection process, we trained a lot, and then when we're on the teams, we trained a lot. They probably train more now, I would suspect, but we were training a lot back then. And then uh, in respect to testing you were being tested like in the real time everyone knew what was up, up every all the eyes were on you your own eyes were on you you <clears> knew <throat> when you're either faking it or you were making it uh, and so th there was no real formal testing every day was a test and then uh when i uh went into the civilian sector or as a veteran uh, speaking specifically for the ontario police college uh, when in that process, there is a formal process, like I'd start off in front of the podium with 300 uh, students in front of me, deliver that speech, do that thing, break up the groups, then go look after my group. And I'd have a body of uh, uh, day one students in front of me, moving them through that process. That process is a way different process than the military process. And it's a way different process than the 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 units process at JTF2 uh, level. And so every challenge has its own challenges. And so I don't think there's, it's not a simple uh, solution of this, that, and then finally that. Every every solution has a unique uh, process, in my opinion. I don't know if I answered your question, though, Yuri. Randy, thoughts on that? Yeah, time is always an issue. Um, you know, oftentimes you'll hear there's not enough time for this, that, and the other thing. So it's important as, uh, you know, a team leader or somebody that's, you know, providing some, some legitimate information in terms of what is the highest priority right now based on the operational realities. What are we preparing for? What are the most common or the most probable courses that we may face? And then let's focus on that. It, it takes a lot of uh, humility, I would say, is a big one, and checking the ego to, you know, train wisely and be honest. Because I know from experience, I've watched guys, they will not train in anything that will expose a weakness or limitation. Mm. They will avoid oh, that at all costs. They would much sooner rather train something that they're already really good at. And I, I like to share the philosophy of 70-30. So if we only have an hour, it's probably wise that we spend 70% of that hour working on the things that we're really not that good at yet. Maybe we're lacking a little bit of confidence in. And then 30% of the time, yes, let's continue to do the things that we're really good at, the things that we enjoy to do. Because under stress and under duress, guess what's going to come to the surface first? It's going to be the things that you're good at. It's mm -hmm. not going to be the things that you're not good at. So I do believe there's some humility and some egos that need to be checked and be honest with ourselves when we're training. Because I agree with your point, Yuri. The, the time, the amount of time adequate or um, allocated rather for training tends to be the first thing that gets cut away. Mm -hmm. 
Here's a question. Uh, could I, could I yeah, continue? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for for this uh, for this information, what we gonna do for uh, these guys? Okay, uh, you know what I seen. Guys who very good train already getting to the uh, to the military or to the police, they continue training. They continue training not only on duty but uh, in in his free time. They continue. Uh, they wanted to be as good soldiers as or policemen as they uh, can be. And now, uh, and uh, what I do at the last uh, last uh, week of uh, course, I did the simple way. I just grab a training knife and uh, begin attacking the students begin attacking with with good uh, good uh, power and good force and uh, most of them can defend it it's obviously because i'm uh, i have more 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 experience about this thing and have revelation because i have knife and they have and that the, i do it not uh, not for uh, for some uh, to say to to give him information that uh, he they didn't uh, good in this thing no it's uh, about another it's about he doesn't you know he can't stay on his level even after passing the some courses even after they uh, gave to uh, coming to the to the life and i'll see to three of uh, you guys and i see that you really in real life after the duty you continue to practice to be the more dangerous warriors uh, and you spend all your life this uh, this uh, this this thing yeah yeah because that's what i was taught to do uh that's <laughs> that's what i was taught to do i was taught to be a professional yeah. and once i was taught it i couldn't forget it so that's how I've always run my life ever since. And so to Randy's point now, um, you're right. It is a freaking slap upside the head to choke down that ego and get real humilitized by the, the week that you turn 52, tie on a white belt in BJJ. That was seven and a half years ago, baby. And I got my ass whooped so bad. Cause I thought I could kick ass and I'd been kicking ass for 33 years up until that point. But then I tied on that white belt and got my ass kicked, but it was good. I loved it, but that's the deal. I mean, first of all, you've got to be taught how to be a professional and then you've got to remain professional. And then as you continue on that process of the journey of being an eternal professional, you've got to have the humility to absorb that suck the suck of i do suck and i'm facing it straight in the mirror and so anyone out there who thinks they've got their act together go find a way to not have your act together it's imperative yeah and i would add to that too is anyone who thinks that it's too late you know exit that from the mindset it's never too late to start something new it's never too late to challenge the brain and the body and it's never too late to harden up like every one of us can get a little bit harder a little bit tougher to be that warrior if we mm -hmm. ever need to use these skills for real we have it and it's readily accessible one of the best lines so, uh, uh, at, at, the, at the end maybe i wanted to say some as always funny story Sorry for my pure English, but uh, I try to describe. So uh, once uh, once we have uh, artillery strike from Russians, uh, Uragan, it's system like uh, Grad BM. Uh, you know, yes, it's yeah. missile yeah. launcher, rocket launcher. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, with me was uh, two guys from my team. Uh, they guys no, not have no any military experience. And after this striking, we, we run away very quickly, very quickly. They uh, steal all his uh, backpacks, his rucksacks on place, which uh, hidden by missiles. 
we run away, sitting in into the some uh, some forest, and first, you know, first his question after after the after they understanding that uh, dangerous uh, goes away, they ask it where we can buy uh, first medic aid uh, like you. And now they haven't so. Our uh, for uh, for me, I think as instructors, we we might to create some defense and shield, which can life, uh, which can stay in life. Our students after first dealing with real dangerous on the street or on a battlefield, yeah. because when when they saw the first uh, example of uh, some was dying or hurting in real life, life situation they understand it why it's so important but things fortunately got for, yeah things got yeah real. but fortunately but fortunately in real uh, life i think why why we haven't uh, uh, so much time for uh, combatives uh, or hand-to-hand -hand practice in police academy and in the military because dying of one soldier or policeman for for police department or for country, it's it's just statistic. But for for us uh, and for his friends, for uh, his family, it's it's a terrible. Yeah. So they counted. Okay, we spent, uh, for example, ten hours on hand to hand, fifteen hours on uh, shooting, and one hundred four uh, hours for uh, now in the laws because in 99 percentage of uh, our students our police officers never say the uh, real life situation with violence yeah that's the deal you know one of the interesting things that uh, i've always i can't really say i found it humorous but it's always been kind of interesting to me is that until you've actually faced violence real straight up violence <laughs> you have no idea how you're going to react yeah. and that is one of the best things that you get out of training is you get the reaction <laughs> and whether or not it's the correct reaction or you know you can armchair quarterback or quarterback yeah. it later but at least you have a reaction whereas if you don't have any training you're 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 well behind well behind <laughs> uh we, we are almost an hour here and first off thanks guys thanks yuri randy sean great conversation this has been awesome i, I love learning about the, the just the evolution of it all it's fantastic dude i learned a bunch right um any any final thoughts uh that we got anything burning in the back of your head you want to uh yeah if you don't mind yeah thanks yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll just uh i'll finalize this by saying thanks to you know the gentlemen on this panel i appreciate having these chats for sure definitely mm -hmm. Uh, opens up and definitely uh, thought-provoking for sure. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say uh, as I kind of sign off and say thank you is I, to echo your point, Chance, any training is better than no training at all. So if, you know, life gets in the way, right? There's there's family frictions, there's work frictions for sure. We need to take training seriously and make that a priority. And if it's an hour a week, well, guess what? That's better than zero hours a week. So every little bit counts so if, if there's people out there wondering when to start or how to start now is the time i wouldn't wouldn't waste another minute yeah there's a great uh, old thing that i say all the time and that is you know when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago yeah when's the second best time right now That's right it. now here we go yeah. yuri any any final points anything you want to get across before we shut her down well as usual it was a fantastic chat uh like to meet with Wendy uh, and uh, have some some information for my thoughts and uh, I think it's uh, must be not not the last uh, our meeting in this company so thank you for all thank you guys thank you. Okay. our pleasure Sean you got anything uh, send it off with yeah, just a, a little bit of a twist right here at the end, because I know we've been talking about a lot of sexy stuff, you know, it's been 
Magnificent. But I just want to kind of put a little bit more of a, not a Debbie Downer, but a little bit more realism on this uh, uh, to kind of wake people up a bit. I'd say this, that train, it's imperative, like your life depends on it. But don't train in your head. Because I once had someone say to me, uh, Sean, you like fighting, don't you? And I said, I'm comfortable in a fight, but I don't like fighting. And they said, why? And I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been punched in the face really hard? And the answer is usually no. <laughs> and then I am able to say to them, well, I've been punched in the face really hard a lot. Number and I don't like is. it. Look at my nose. It's been broken four times. I'm, I'm lucky I got married. And so, you know, plan in your head, of course, but realize that what we're talking about is not just defensive tactics or martial arts or combatives. It's kind of violence, man. And so if you've never experienced it, find a safe way to get introduced to the overarching theme of violence. And guys like Randy uh, are the right people to be able to introduce you to those kind of uh, uh, themes. Thank you. And really, you don't you don't want your first interaction with violence to be outside a bar, or on the street, yeah, or sure. in a car, or like if you want your first interaction, it should be with someone like Randy or Yuri or Sean or me, someone on the mats in the proper positioning to be able to teach you correctly, <laughs> rather than uh, teach you incorrectly. Agreed. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's all we got. Uh, Randy, don't go anywhere yet, though, because we're we we usually okay. we got to get some. We got we always talk in the green room. Afterwards. Couple of minutes. We yeah. got a good couple of minutes afterwards. So I really appreciate y'all for uh, for joining us. If you haven't, make sure that you uh, you subscribe and you do the whole notification thingy, the bell, and liking all that social media stuff. Uh, it's awesome if you do. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, hang out with us tomorrow as we continue to learn, build, and grow here on the collective. We'll talk to y'all later. Chimo. Ch